Welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.23, and today we're looking into humility. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick, and I am the teacher for Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zach Rios, and I've been helping out with a lot of these podcasts and studying youth ministry. Uh, and then we have Ian Gray back. So, Ian, what's up? How's everybody doing? How many is this for you now? This will be my third one. Third, I thought yeah. it was third or fourth. So we're, we're, so we're glad you're here. And then how long ago did we actually do this unpacking? Was this like two years ago? Two and a half, maybe? Yeah, two to two and a half years ago. Because this is actually one of my first books. Was it really? Okay, yeah. that's funny. Uh, so yeah, so this is one of the ones we actually did a long time ago, but we're now getting around to the, the recording of it. Um, so, but before we get into humility and what is it, we'll do a quick recap, as we always do, of uh, the previous episode where we, we discussed fear. So, Zach, give us a quick recap of what fear was about. Yeah, so we talked about fear, which uh, encompassed two things, really. Uh, the dread fear that we normally think of when we think of the word fear, and then also this excited awe-type fear that's the fear of the Lord that we're supposed to have as believers. And we talked about how it's a degreed thing. And so we described these scales of 100 to 0 of uh, this dread fear and also 0 to 100 of this excited awe fear. And we said that there's an inverse relationship between the two mm -hmm. of them, not quite one-to-one, but typically, as you get more excited awe, fear of the Lord, you tend to have less dread fear of your circumstances and whatever else is going on around you. And did we talk about, I don't think we did, um, so it. So the more excited awe fear you're getting, it seems to decrease the, more, the dread fear that you have in life. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't say the opposite as far as the more you're decreasing the dread fear in life, automatically the more excited awe fear you're getting, right? Yeah. So it's it, so so it wouldn't be that. So it seems that increasing the excited awe fear does tend to decrease the dread fear, mm -hmm. but not necessarily decreasing the dread fear increases the excited awe fear. Yeah. Because you'd still want to be intentional mm -hmm. with developing that. But yeah, because it's the sort of thing that you have to be pushing it forward. It's right. not just going to slide forward on its own. Yes. Okay. That's a good way. Yeah. It'd be cool if we actually had like a slider scales yeah. to show that, but. We but we talked about that, and we uh, kind of talked about why we even have dread fear, and so the fact that we have dust bodies, distorted thinking, just all these different factors. And we also talked about the problem of having dread fear and not having excited awe fear, what that can lead to, the benefits of having excited awe fear, and then also how to develop that, how to actually get that to come about. Like practical ways, yeah. et cetera. One thing I'll say just to emphasize from that study we talked about how in the Hebrew, and I think even a little bit in the Greek, there was the idea of trembling or shaking, mm -hmm. and we and we realized when we did the study that you could sh one could shake in excitement, yeah, and also one could shake in dread, uh, and so that that really helps, uh, really helps with that. Yeah. Uh, also, a little trivia: if you go back to the anger study, so remember we talked a lot about the Ephesians passage of "Be angry and and do not sin," yep. and what that actually means. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a quote from Psalm four, I think. And and the Psalm four in the Septuagint, so in the Hebrew Psalm four, it actually says, um, "Tremble and sin not." And it seems to be more the idea of like tremble and excitement of God, mm -hmm. and you won't sin as much. Um, but then when the Septuagint translated into the Greek, they changed it from tremble to uh, get angry. Not that that was necessarily wrong. Remember, we, we, anyways, yeah. there's, we there's a link. We talked much more yeah, about a link that, to all that in that study, but yeah. yeah. Um, so, so the biggest implication of that, 
was just if if you're somebody who struggles with fear a lot, you're afraid of just things happening more that dread fear. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we want to encourage you is it's less about through sheer willpower um, reducing that fear. Yeah. And it's more about really just let yourself get to know God better and just be in awe and excited. And that'll help counter it. Mm-hmm. Not a one-to-one, you know, not automatic formula, but there definitely seems to be a correlation there. You know, perfect love casts out fear. We also talked about, uh, this was kind of cool. I don't know uh, if I told you before, Ian, the, um, the idea with courage. So we almost yeah, did kind of like four stages. So in the worst stage, you're paralyzed with fear and you don't, you don't move mm-hmm. or you, or you run full sprint away. The next stage in, you definitely still have a lot of fear. Maybe you make the right decisions in yeah. the moment. Maybe we're talking about trust falls. So imagine there were like four chairs and people were standing on those four chairs. And so on the first one, the person was paralyzed with fear. Yeah. Are they going to do the trust fall? No. The second person, there's a lot of fear there. Are they going to do yeah. the trust fall? Maybe, maybe not. It would depend on other factors. The third person has fear, but they also have courage. Because you know that definition of courage is like to act in the midst of fear. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the absence of fear. And so, th- so they will do the trust fall because they have the courage to push past their fear. Then the person on the fourth chair, they're fearless. So they just get up and fall. Mm-hmm. And definitely that third chair, that if you have courage in the midst of fear, that's super noble. That's something, if you're over in these first two, you want to ascribe to. But once you get there, you actually want to ascribe to the point where you're fearless. So it was kind of cool. It's actually kind of funny you mentioned that because I do have a fear of heights. So trust falls would definitely be in an area that I might have a little bit of difficulty in with that explanation. I could see how I could... I'd probably be chair three most of the time. Uh-huh. Sometimes chair two, and that probably depends on who's who's there. Yep, Ooh, and, yeah, how, yeah. and how high it is. So there you go. Okay, yeah, yeah. So if it's really high with a bunch of strangers, you're probably on chair two. If it's a little bit lower with people that you know or stronger big guys or whatever, then you might actually move to chair three. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, we won't, I was, the video. Oh, I'm going to people. If, if you're curious, you haven't listened yet. You can go back and listen to the to the fear study. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was the the last episode. Uh, and, and just as a reminder, too, two episodes ago, we did the putting it all together episode. Yep. So we had um, up to that point, we had covered 18 topics, a total of 52 hours, a little over 52 hours of of podcast. Yeah. So then, two episodes ago, we summarized all that into an hour and 40 minutes. That's probably the biggest summary I've ever done. My to go from fifty-two hours down to an hour and forty. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been that con- concise before. Uh, anyways, go ahead. And when you think about it, because we've even summarized a lot of these topics down from what they were. Because evil and sin, we could have spent. Oh man, yeah, eight a weeks, whole is, yeah. lot of time. And so it's even a greater summary than that because it's an hour and forty minutes of a whole bunch. If, of stuff. Yeah, if you actually calculate each man hour that each person put in each study. We're looking at hundreds of research hours that got summarized into 52 hours of podcast uh, explanations that then got summarized down to an hour and 40 minutes of, uh, of the putting it all together. So, and what we said was putting it all together wasn't all. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the main core of those 18. Mm-hmm. And then now the second part of this season three, we're adding other pieces to that drawing. Mm-hmm. And so last week we added the fear piece. This week we're adding the humility piece and going from there. Anyways, so let's get into the study itself, um, the study of humility. So all three of us did this study, mm-hmm. and it ended up being kind of a cool one where, because you know a lot of times as we've gone through these, 
the definitions that we came up with was pretty close to what we had all thought, what tradition had said, maybe with some slight differences, sometimes some powerful, like detailed differences. Um, what we found with this study, and we'll explain all this shortly, but we found that the definite, the English definite, de- the English definition of humility is not the biblical definition of humility. And this is not to say that the English definition of humility is a bad thing, um, just that biblical humility is different. Um, so we'll, we'll get into all that. But it was, it was kind of cool. And we had some pushback, our, so our own personal pushbacks. Um, it was stretching right, to go through that. So as we always do, uh, the first thing is is we go through like all the wording that we did. So, so the words that, that I looked up for this family uh, concept of humility, I looked up humble, humbled humility, bow, bowing, bow down, low, lowly, prostrate, prostrated, uh, abase or abased. Uh, now, and as I was going through that, I started noticing there was a connection between those words and affliction. And I didn't, we hadn't done a suffering study yet. And so when we first did this, I wasn't for sure, wait, why, what does affliction have to do with humility? I was a little confused and concluded some wrong things early in the study. By the time we finished it, I think we came around to where we're supposed to. And now that we've done the suffering study, it elaborated even more. And now that we've done the punishment study, it's elaborated even more. Um, and by the way, I know we've said this before, with each of these unpacking studies, when we went through them ourselves, there was discussions where it's like, now, wait a minute, that can't be true based on X, Y, and Z. But then as you go through, you're like, oh, no, it is true. Wow. Wow, but I'm still a little bit hesitant to make that jump or make that change. But then when we do another uh, unpacking on some other topic, it would actually affirm that stuff that we were trying to conclude on the first one. And so all these things have really started just to affirm each other. So I know there's times when you, the listener, are are listening. Oh, I don't know if that's true, and I get it. I totally get the pushback. Um, but yeah. but the, one of the reasons why we found so we, we sound so confident, because um, I will say by the way, the, the three of us are the more confident type personalities, mm-hmm. and we that's know true. that, and so we try to be intentional about not trusting too much in our own confidence, mm-hmm. and so start to question everything that we're thinking. Right. So so we do recognize that and try to counter it. So our confidence in our conclusions doesn't come from that, from the natural confidence that we have. It's actually come from all these group discussions, the verses, the repetition in scripture, and then all these different concepts that keep affirming each other. Um, so, so it's, it's just been cool kind of watch that journey. Uh, anyways, so when I, when we, when I was putting the words together, I realized that affliction somehow came into this. So I ended up looking up, uh, the words for afflict and affliction, afflicted and oppressed and oppressed and oppression, etc. And I also saw a connection with meek, meekness, mild and, and gentleness. So I included those as well. So when it all came out, there was a total of 518 mentions, 435 in the Old Testament, only 83 in the New Testament. This definitely is one of the lower numbers. I feel like one of the studies had like 400 and some odd mentions. Um, most of them have been running between like 1,000 and 1,200, sometimes like 1,700 or 2,400. Uh, the record, I think, is 3,900. Um but so this is this is one of the lower ones is, is not as frequently mentioned uh, in the text. Anyway, so th- those were the words that that uh, we looked up. There was also a little bit of overlap with some slave servant submission passages, but we we ended up kind of putting that a little bit to the side, kind of realizing that was its own its own concept. Um, so having said that, we can get into the uh, the Hebrew and the Greek. So here were the the main 
words that we that we end up finding in the Hebrew and the, and the Aramaic and the Greek. So the first one, and as always, we qualify this with we don't know what we're doing when it comes to the pronunciation of these words. Uh, so we're trying to, to say it as best as we can. But just so you know, in our notes, we have like the strong concordance numbers, so we know which words they are. Uh, but anyways, the first one is uh, shakak. Uh, which means to bow down or prostrate or pay homage to homage sorry, homage pay homage to or to worship or there's an affiliated word that means to bow or be bowed down or to crouch or to prostrate and then you have the dal or dalal and that just means low weak poor or thin we also looked up uh, chapelle chapal and chapel uh, which means to depress sink to be low to become low or abased and that's low in height or station, also humble, uh, to bring low, subdue, humble. Uh, and then there's a, uh, the Hebrew word kara, kara, which means to bow down or kneel. And then kana, to be humble, humbled, subdued, brought low, to bend the knee. Kadad, to bow down. And then uh, sanua or sana, to be humble or modest or lowly. And then ana. To afflict, oppress, humble, to be put down, bow down, become low, be downcast, depressed, to stoop, humble oneself, weaken oneself, chasten oneself, to be busy and occupied. Oni or Ani is affliction, great pains, misery, poor, afflicted, wretched, weak, lowly, or humble. And that's used 111 times. Then there's Inuth and Inoi, which means affliction, misery, or poverty. And then anav, which is poor, needy, afflicted, pressed down, lowly, meek, humble, gentle. And anav, which is humility, meekness, mildness, gentleness, oppressed, or uh, condensation. Yeah. Uh, Lakats, to squeeze, press, or oppress. And suk, to constrain, bring into straits, press upon. Uh, and then th- those are the main Hebrew words. And then there were some other ones that had the idea of to pre- oppress, crush, break, injure, or maltreat. But those were, were used less. All right, so that's the, the Hebrew. And then getting into the, um, the Greek words, there's proskuneo. And, the, and, and you can look here. You see this list. This list is a lot shorter. There are only a handful of Greek words that are translated that. Um, proskuneo means to come forward and do reverence to or to bow down or kiss or worship. Um, one of the things we saw there is with the idea of kiss, um, it's as if like a dog adoring its master. So it sounds a little gross, but it's actually kind of a cool concept. Like, you know, if a dog licks you because it's all excited, part of this idea of proskuneo is you're just really happy to be in front of the person that you're with. Then we look at, uh, tapineos and some other words, and that's depressed, reined in, low lying, loneliness of mind, humility, self-abasement, modesty. A deep sense of one's littleness to make low, reduce, level, low estate, and humiliation. We also looked up thlipsis, which is to press, crowd, afflict, tribulation, affliction, or distress. And then katapaneo, uh, and another form of that word, which means to hold or exercise power over, or to oppress or wear down. And then preos, or pretus. Mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, meekness, humility. And lastly, here we have epikis, which is suitable, fair, mild, gentle, or yielding. So those are the original uh, 
original wording that we saw, some of the initial observations as we were looking at all those definitions, it seemed, at least in the Old Testament, this idea of humbled or humility was referencing a bowing down like in reverence and or being subdued. There was also this weird element of being afflicted or oppressed, which we're going to come back to. Um, And then in the New Testament, the idea of the humble or humility seems to reference also a bowing down in reverence, potentially a recognition of lowliness, which may play a little bit into like the English definition of of humility, uh, and then or being pressed upon or having a mild, gentle spirit. It it would equate that a little bit. So those were some of the initial observations, uh, at least of the the Hebrew and Greek. Um, So then we look up the the Webster and Farlex dictionary definitions, just so that we can continue in this vein and make sure we're getting everything. So uh, humble, humbled humility according to Webster and Farlex, has a several different meanings here. Uh, can mean low in rank, station, status, quality, or condition. Or it can mean freedom from pride, arrogance, haughtiness, i.e. to not exaggerate one's worth. Or it can mean not regarding others as inferior. Or it can mean not assertive in behavior or attitude, appearance of deference and submission, showing respect and esteem for a superior or elder, and yielding to their wishes and governance. So a little note on that. Those first three is typically what you think of in that English definition of humility, and that wasn't nearly as much the pattern from Scripture. The Scriptures seem to hold more to that fourth one and actually change that a bit. Then we looked up uh, loneliness and abasement having or suited for low position or degree in some hierarchy to lower physically or in rank office prestige or esteem and then humble or meek in spirit we also looked up modesty which is placing a moderate estimate on one's ability rank or worth and something that uh, we kind of noted is we were wondering if this is compared to an accurate estimate this or just moderate really. estimate or how th- how that played out but yeah and then bow down or prostrate or kneel has the ideas of to suffer defeat or to cease from competition or resistance or to yield or submit or to show weakness by agreeing to the demands or following the orders of someone or to bend the head, knee, or body in a lower depressed or stretched out position in reverence or adoration, submission, respect, or assent, which can mean agreement or approval, or shame, a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt or shortcoming. It seemed, again, that biblically to kneel down before the Lord was that last one without the shame part. Then we have reverence and homage, to feel and show honor, respect, awe, or profound adoration and love, an expression of high regard, attesting to the worth or influence of another, as a vassal to his freudal lord. And we also looked up afflicted, oppressed, and subdued, which means to be spiritually, mentally, or physically overwhelmed, crushed, burdened, or weighed heavily upon, uh, this idea of being pressed down, or uh, subjugated, or controlled by force. It also can mean to experience grievous pain, suffering, or anguish, or to be lacking in vitality, intensity, or strength. It's cool to see these definitions that we just looked up briefly before we did the unpackings on suffering and grieving and all that, and just kind of seeing the correlation, seeing some of the depth we found later, etc. Yeah. 
Um, all right, and then, and then we also looked up that meek, mild, gentle that we saw from the, the Hebrew and the Greek, and that again has several different potential definitions. Uh, enduring injury with patience and long-suffering and without resentment. Uh, not desiring to fight or argue, to be moderate in action, like not strong or harsh, extreme or severe, uh, free from harshness or sternness, violence or forcefulness, having and showing a gentle, kind, quiet, um, amiable, agreeable, moderate, submissive, compliant, or humble nature or disposition, uh, easily molded, shaped, or worked, uh, and the potentially deficient in spirit and courage. So those are all the, the, the definitions there. So we, we had, so when we, when we had that discussion, you know, we did that the first week, uh, we had, we're each coming up with some initial thoughts of what we thought humility was. And then, and then once we, then we went through all the verses and discussed everything from there and ended up coming up with it with a more firm conclusion, which I'll give in a, in a moment. Um, but Ian, I remember when we were, when we were doing the study, one of your pushbacks, we all had several pushbacks. One of your pushbacks was that low language. Oh yeah. Do you want to talk about that at all? So to me, because of all the studies that we've done, you know, it, it always seems like God really wants us to be lifted up unless we were really walking away from him. So initially seeing this low and lowliness looked like it was almost uh, opposite of what where God wants us to be. Mm -hmm. So I was really having trouble with that because I was also trained up in that typical definition of humble is, you know, that we're not worthy, my head's down, especially when thinking about God. And now I'm looking at all these low words and I'm like, mm, that doesn't make sense. If God is love and everything else, I can't equate these yet. So yeah, that, that was a big issue for me in the beginning. So, so segueing into the conclusions of all this, because, uh, you know, one of the things that we've learned is if the scripture keeps bringing this concept up, we can't ignore it. And so we had to come to grips with it, but we also understood coming to grips with it didn't mean that God was doing the opposite of edifying, right? Just the point that you were making. So now that we've gone through it and you've had, you know, two years to kind of sit and chew on it, now how would you in your own words explain what the lowliness idea references in humility? Okay, so especially when thinking about God, it's not bringing oneself low. It's actually just kneeling in front of and kind of, understanding that I kind of need to take some of my pride away. That's the loneliness. It's not the other. So it's not it. a downplaying of value, worth, talent, etc. No, not at all. Because if anything, God wants to edify and encourage on your talents. And, and in fact, encourage us to get better and, you know, be more courageous in ways. So kind of the opposite of that humility. So, yeah, overall, it was just recognizing that you're just kind of taking some of that flesh out of yourself. Mm -hmm. So bringing the flesh out of it, but still recognizing that you're a wonderful child of God. Yeah. So let's get into the, what we found. So, so then, you know, the next couple of weeks after that, we went through all this, all 500 and some odd scripture passages. We, we looked at the context. We, 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 as I think we had, I think that was a, that was a bigger group, like 12 or 14 people, I yeah, think. I believe so. Um, and so everyone had fewer verses so they could kind of go a little more in depth with them all. Um, anyways, so we went through all that and then we, we put everything together, what we were learning. And this is what we concluded. So, so here's the definition of humility, according to scripture. Um, it's having a deep, awe-filled adoration of the perfect Lord, excitedly yielding to and serving Him, comfortably conscious of my own lowness and shortcomings, letting Him take care of me. 
or a shorter rendering. This is the one that I've memorized and I've said to myself a hundred times since then, um, is kneeling before God in adoration, submission, and security. And, and breaking each of those down real quickly here, you're kneeling before him in adoration. This goes back to the fear, the, the excited fear study. So you're getting to know God and you're kind of just blown away by his awesomeness. And so you kneel before him, just kind of excited to be in his presence. It's also a kneeling before him in submission. So this is the traditional authority. Hey, you're boss, you're king, you're sovereign. I'm the servant. And so I'm going to kneel before you as a sign of my submission to you. And then there's also a kneeling before him in security, which is the idea of coming to sit at his feet and letting him take care of you. Uh, so that now, the, so that was the wording that I had for the, the definition. What did, what did you have, Ian? Well, uh, just kind of taken away with that whole lowness, but not really low. Mm-hmm. Um, I had written down early on that it's not really to be made low. It's to place oneself properly in line with God's will so you can discern a proper course of action, speech, or thought, which I think we discussed for a little while. It was like week two. Yeah. And it was when we started realizing, hmm, this lowness isn't a lowness. It's actually getting in proper alignment with God. Right. So the, the, the typical English concept of humility is to downplay one's talents, successes, achievements, etc. So when someone says, hey, you did a great job. Oh, no, I, that wasn't me, you know, etc. So, so that is not what biblical humility is. Biblical humility is not talking about a downplaying of one's value, worth, talents, achievements, accomplishments, successes. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about kneeling before him Again, in that security, adoration, submission, etc., so that you're more aligned with kind of who he is uh, and what he wants, etc. So an analogy helps. I know this analogy was helpful, I think, for most of us in that study. If you think about, and, and I think even in some of the definitions, it talked about f- the feudal lord system or vassals or whatever. So if you go back to medieval times, and you would have a feudal lord of an area, and so he would have a castle or a small fortified town where he lived. That was his base of operations, his seat. And but he would he would have ownership of all the surrounding lands for X amount of miles. And throughout all that land, there were just a bunch of um, individuals, usually farmers or or shepherds or maybe basic craftsmen, fishermen, etc., um, that all lived in that area. And so when the king would assign that area to that lord. Then, then he would send out messengers, hey, guys, by the way, you're now my vassals. And they would have a, a decision that they would have to make of whether they were going to submit to that or not. And if they agreed to that and they submitted to him, uh, they would go kneel before him in that submission. And what we talked about was in movies... You know, and, and so imagine if someone didn't want to do that. And, and by the way, there was a there was a covenantal commitment here. So if they did that, if they kneeled in that vassalship, one of the things they would get in return. So the idea is, you know, you need to turn in the food that you're raising and all that kind of deal. Turn in the, the clothes that you're making, or you know, whatever the crafts you're doing. But then in turn, I'm now responsible to, to be your caretaker. So I'll make because I'm, I'm going to kind of split all that food up and and resources, and then I'll give it back out. And so you will have food and you will have clothing. Um, you're also going to have my protection. So if bandits are in the area or some other invading army comes in, because you're my vassals, I'm going to protect you. So there was a sense of security or safety with that. Well, if there were individuals that were like, screw you, 
You know, you, you, I grew up in this area. You didn't grow up in this area. Some king I don't even know gave you this land. I'm not going to submit. And so if they if they did that, you know, usually the Lord would have some sort of soldiers. So they, these these individuals that re- rebelled would go deeper into the woods where the Lord and his soldiers couldn't find them, and then they had to live off the land. Um, and, you know, and like living under the trees with some more primitive huts, you know, because they didn't have access to all those resources. And we talked about how in the movies, those guys are glorified, right? Those are the heroes of the story, the ones that stand up against the, the liege Lord, you know, um, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, Braveheart, um, I'd, you know, I'd rather have my freedom, you know, than my life or whatever the quote is from there. Um, but so yes, we have these little huts that we live in. And yes, we kind of have to live day to day in the hunting, trying to find the food that we need, the berries, et cetera. So yes, it's a little bit rougher, but absolutely worth it because I have my freedom. And so that we see this in books and movies, et cetera. So the, the kind of the Hollywood or just the story industry in general has tended to glorify the rebels. Well, what we're realizing is when this comes in the biblical sense and this idea of having humility before the Lord, what we're talking about is a really awesome liege lord. Right, absolutely. Who really does care for the vassals. And he's not going to take everything and then hoard it and only give a little bit back. Um, If he's taken any of it, it's because he knows better. He's an excellent steward. So imagine if there was this liege lord that was actually very friendly, very caring, very relational, very personable, very loving. Um, and so he, he, the, his vassals were really important to him. He was also super smart. So he was a really good steward and planner. And so he knew how to manage resources as well so that he could actually get spread out more. Um, to, so everyone actually got more in the end. And really good fighter. You know, and he had really good fighters with him, so he offered all kinds of protection. Then it would make perfect sense, you know. And, and it, you know, he probably had this presence about him, right? That you just you just felt like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. So why? So if you met him, why would you not kneel before him in adoration, submission, and security? You know, oh, I love him. The guy's hilarious. He's a lot of fun to hang out with. He's very caring, so I definitely adore him. I'm in awe of just who he is as a person. And and definitely he provides security and safety and, and resources and all. You know, he takes care of you. Uh, so, of course, I'm willing to submit to his authority, you know. And so the rebels are kind of dumb to not do that. Like, oh, good for you. You have your freedom. I kind of still have my freedom, too, but I'm being taken care of a bunch more. Right. So that was a, that was a cool analogy for us. I don't know if you guys wanted to add anything to that. Yeah, and with that idea of freedom, um, because I really just connected with that story, uh, because a lot of times when I thought of Christianity, I thought of it being a bunch of rules that you had to follow, and um, we didn't really want to do that because why would I want to give up my freedom? But just that idea of um, it, it's just so much better because you think that you're actually free running around in the woods doing whatever you want, but it's you're actually so much worse off. And I remember because you're a slave to trying to feed yourself. And, yeah, yeah, because it's not what you were actually created for. Which mm-hmm. I was reading something the other day, and uh, it said just along these same lines. And this gives another example, which may be helpful. A fish is made for the water, having gills that absorb oxygen from the water, not from the air. That means a fish is only free to eat, to swim, to live if he remains inside the boundaries of his watery home. A fish out of water isn't free; it's dead. Where's that from? Uh, it's from an article that I read online called A Fish Out of Water Isn't Free. 
Um, I don't the, remember who's the author? where I just so we originally credit. saw it. Uh, Doug Ponder okay. is who that one was. So shout out to Doug Ponder, um, whoever yeah. he is. So, and I haven't read the rest of the article because that wasn't the original article I saw it. In, but regardless, that's the concept. And it's something that we don't think about because we think that we want our freedom. We want to just do whatever we want. And we think that that's going to be so much better for us. But what it actually results in is detriment for us, for others, and we actually are dead. Mm. And it's just not something that you think about. But with this idea of humility, if we are actually um, kneeling in adoration, then that's how we can actually thrive. And it's just a different way of thinking about things. So we're foreshadowing. Ian, you did the leading and following study, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we're recording that in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Um, that was basically the conclusion was that with leading and following, there's a hierarchy. And what we learned in the study was that God actually designed the hierarchy system. And if everybody's doing their part, the hierarchy system is awesome. If people aren't doing their part, for example, a leader who's being abusive, then it can get ugly. But God's intent is to, to use it well in a healthy fashion. And you know, we had an individual or two in that study that was just not liking that at all. No. They were rejecting hierarchy on principle. But just what you were saying, Zach, we're actually, it seems that we're actually designed for hierarchy. Um, and again, we can always think of the bad examples, but, but let's look at what kind of God's intention is. And it was kind of cool. So, so we'll, we'll actually come back to that when we do the leading following. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to piggyback on Zach's and a quick antidote, I, I know for a fact that without kneeling in front of God and really getting yourself to this point that we keep talking about with humility and trusting in him and all the things we're going to talk about in a minute. I know that I personally was dead without him, mm -hmm. you know, for many years in my right, late twenties. Um, and it took a lot because I did, I was self-proclaimed atheist agnostic. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I thought that would just put me in a bubble. I didn't like it. Mm. And then you actually come to find out that the second you accept him and you do humble yourself before him, he does make that life even more free than it was before because I don't have to rely on myself for everything. And and just what you said right there, that phrase, humble yourself before the Lord. Before the study, I had this connotation of what does that mean? That meant coming to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm nothing. I'm a wretch. You know, da, 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 da. Now we're realizing it's what, what does it mean to humble yourself before the Lord? You're coming to him and say, Lord, you're legit. Like, you're awesome. Like, I don't even fully understand your character, but I'm really in awe of it. And I really like you uh, the more that I get to know you. And I realize that you're the safest place on the earth and that you're actually going to provide and protect. And, and you know, yeah. that's not a 100% guarantee in life, but, but we, we, you know, we'll get more of that later. Uh, but anyways, and so I know you're going to protect and provide for me. And I realize that you are the self-existent creator and I am a created being. Um, right. I am a created being with worth and with value because you apparently keep acknowledging and celebrating my worth and value. Now, we also address the sin that I do. You, you, you have these great, this goes back to the sin study. Um, but it's so it's not about coming before the Lord saying, You're this wretch. Humbling yourself before the Lord is about Him. This is what um, I remember now what, what uh, Jules said in the study. She's realizing now humility is not about how you see yourself or present yourself, it's how you see God. Right. You know, mind blown there. Absolutely. So, so as you're listening, let that sink in. Whenever the Bible talks about humility, 
It's talking about how that individual sees God, not as much about how they see themselves or present themselves. Right. It's not like the song, the part of the song in Amazing Grace where it said, save the wretch like me. It's the Amazing Grace part is the humility part. Right. And I understand if there's anybody listening, it's kind of, well, but you know, we are sinners and they're quoting the verses, um, you know, we're filthy rags. I understand that. And I'm not saying that humility is a ignoring of one's sinful nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if you've listened to any of the episodes that we've done, we're constantly going back to muddy fields and how mm -hmm. we're the incomplete versions of ourselves that were made of dust and we're trying to become the more complete versions of ourselves. But that's not the focus. This kind of goes back a little bit to the grace study, how unmerited grace technically by definition is a gift that's unearned, but that's not the emphasis yeah, not that you the that you didn't deserve it. The emphasis is that God loves just to give gifts because he just delights in people. Mm -hmm. So same thing here. Yes, we're made of dust, but humbling oneself before the Lord is not hyper-focusing on your dust brokenness. It's beginning to hyper-focus on who God is and saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to sit at your feet. Yeah, and as we're focused on who God is, it is going to impact how we view ourselves and Absolutely. that sort of thing. But the, I think the key difference here is we aren't starting with a focus on ourselves and then relating that to God. We're starting with a focus on God, and that's and going, going to impact how we view Majorly. ourselves. And that seems on the surface like it wouldn't be that big of a difference. But then when you actually start playing out what that looks like, when you're doing humility, um, focusing on God first, we're going to describe what that looks like. When you're doing humility that's focused on you first, it turns into a lot of this self-deprecating, mm -hmm. um, just belittling. Yeah, just condemning. a lot of different things. And you are actually just hurting yourself instead yeah. of helping anything. So it's, and this goes back to what you said earlier, Ian, about your first initial pushback on the whole lowly language, because we were trying to figure out what in the world was going on with that. If you are not going to God first, and you're taking a more traditional sense of this humbling before the Lord, then it is going to be more of, you know, I'm, I'm a wretch, I'm helpless, hopeless, etc. And you begin this demeaning condemnation, where if you go to the Lord first, just what you're saying, Zach, it's okay, you know what? First of all, I have worth and value because I'm a created being by the self-existent God. The self-existent creator God made me, that alone gives me worth. And apparently God's really big on that. <laughs> and, you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And again, we are excitedly and wonderfully made. Um, and in that excited, wonderfully made worth and value, it is dust. We are clay right now. And so there is a brokenness, there is a distorted thinking that's going to lead to sin. There are the muddy fields, and, and, and that, that definitely a sinful tendency. That's our habits, our default. Um, but that doesn't take away from our worth. So then going back to what you said, Ian, about this, you know, I knew that God wants to edify and build up and encourage. So you can imagine, like, where if it's kind of combining what you said, exactly just not what you said. God says, A, I made you. So you have excited, wonderful worth. B, you are dust and clay, and so you have a tendency to sin, and we need to fully recognize that, acknowledge it, and deal with it. C, I want to encourage and edify you and help move you toward that complete version of what I want you to become. That's amazing, right? And so, so, so I, th I know most of us were, were getting excited in the study that I think, I think, I can't say for most of us, I know some of us in the study had kind of a negative connotation of humility. Yeah. Is more, oh, remember also, by the way, I think even um, Erica was saying this. Uh, 
that I think we would associate humility with weak, yep. kind of in our society and culture. And so because we all, all of us Americans kind of had that association, we didn't necessarily like the idea of humility. Now we're realizing that if you're humbling yourself before the Lord, kneeling in him in adoration, submission, security, all, all that stuff, that you're, you're getting protected. Um, he actually wants to see you contribute back to that feudal kingdom. Um, and you just you, you start getting stronger because he wants to train everybody up. And so there's actual strength that comes with humility. And that was a cool association for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. That was the, a big piece to that whole thing was recognizing that it's not in weakness that we need to humble ourselves, but it's actually in strength that we need to humble ourselves. Uh, also, if Erica, if you're listening, I meant to say to have her come tonight because I was actually going to have her go in on the recording. Um, oh, okay. So yep. we'll have to, we'll do that for Sounds next good. time. Um, yeah, I want her to, I want you guys to meet uh, Ian's wife. She's done a bunch of the uh, unpacking studies and, and she's awesome. Uh, she always has great insights, her and Rachel, uh, that bring stuff to the table. Uh, anyways, so so that was that's this whole concept of humility, and it, it was it was a bit of a game changer. It was really encouraging. It was really cool. That's just the definition. So now, remember how you know the 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 four unpacking questions are: what's the definition? Then what's some of those details and nuances? And then and then what's the benefit of this? And then what's it going to do for me? So that's the definition. So so now we can uh, move into the. Um, the, some of the details. So one of the first things uh, that we talked about um, was some examples. And it was actually interesting. It was examples that you wouldn't think of. So one of the examples of humility in the Bible is Moses. And so there's an example, I think it's in Deuteronomy, where there's a verse that says, and Moses was the most humble man on the earth, right, at that time. And I, I've read commentary before that's talked about well, Moses could, you know, cause, and, and Jesus would say Moses wrote the Torah, right? It's a general consensus among Orthodox Christianity. Moses wrote the Torah. So Moses wrote Deuteronomy. Well, the commentary would state that Moses could not, there's there several different theories on this. So one theory was Moses did not write that sentence because if he wrote that he was the most humble man, he's now contradicting himself. So it must have been edited later someone else still under inspiration of the holy spirit added that as a statement later that was one theory another theory was um was that well no you know because again everyone's assuming this english concept of humility um moses did write it but only because the lord told him to so he really couldn't argue it. it's like you know so so moses really was humble and like he didn't want to write that in his humility um because it seemed like a contradiction uh but then god in you know the holy spirit led him to write it so he wrote it what we realized was this is a non-issue when you actually come to this definition because um, all it's saying is Moses was the one that most kneeled before God in adoration, submission, and security. There's no problem with Moses writing that. He was just writing what he'd done, you know, and there wasn't any arrogance or haughtiness with that. He was just stating, I was just in awe of who God was. I knew he was the safest place to be, so I kneeled before him, right? And so then, so then it becomes non-problematic, so that was kind of cool. Another example that we saw was David, and it was specifically in the context of when he was dancing like a naked fool. So remember, it was after one of the victories or something. He like basically strips down naked or to maybe to his loincloth, whatever it was, and he just starts dancing in the streets so much so that his wife Micah or Michael or whatever her name was like got really mad at him. You know, put some clothes on, get back inside here. Um, so, so it's just as you know, but you know, David, Dave, uh, he's you know, he got a little crazy, passionate sometimes. But you, but most of us would not have associated David dancing half naked wildly down the street with humility. 
but the Bible actually made that 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 was part of his humility because he was kneeling before the God before God in adoration and security and submission and other things, and it was just all excited. It was just dancing and excitement. Uh, and you guys can can add anything if you want to in the section. Um, another one was Ahab. Now Ahab was known as one of the most evil of all the kings of Israel and Judah, um, and it was like what. How was he humble? Well, there was a certain time when uh, he actually did humble himself before the Lord. I don't know if it was permanent. I can't remember if, if he did and then he stayed that way. I want to say he did and then kind of reverted back, but I could, I could be wrong on that. But there was at least a season where he kind of turned back from his wicked rebellion and, and turned to God. So he was known as, as humble. Uh, and then, of course, Jesus was another big example. He's just the definition of humility. But get again. Jesus was humble. Before the study, we would have pictured this quiet, demure, downplaying himself. Well, did Jesus downplay himself? No, he walked around saying, I'm God. If you look at me, you're looking at God the Father, right? (laughs) I mean, he's making these like crazy, bold statements, Um, but yet he was still humble. Well, how was he humble if he said those things? Well, because humble doesn't mean a downplaying of one's identity or talents or worth. It's, it's actually in dealing with, you know, so it all, so these things just begin to make more sense when you see it that way. Absolutely. So, so those are some of the examples, um, getting into some of the nuances of, so, so like, so as you're listening, it's like, Oh, cool. Well, given this, I do, I do want to be humble. Well, how do you do that? What does it look like in action? So one of the things that will help with your, with becoming more humble, it, it definitely seems it's a choice. Kind of like with like with righteousness, and you know, because we have already done that study as well. Um, we also talked about how it's like a turning a heavy boat or a ship. It's it's kind of a slow process. So you make that decision, and it slowly begins turning. It's not a sudden turn. So there's that slow kneeling before God in those areas. Yeah, and it's slow. And uh, another factor that I think it's like a heavy boat. It doesn't really look like much of a change initially. Mm. Like it's it's kind of a subtle little change. Yeah. Um, to actually go from just the way that we tend to live to this. Um, but long term, down the road, you really are going to be able to see that when you are consistently kneeling in that adoration, submission, and security, that it does impact all these different things, even though it might not seem like it right away. Uh, and so what what can you... So you know, you want to make the choice to humble yourself. You want to make the choice to kneel before God in, that, in those ways. One of the things that you can do is get to know him better. That seems to be the strongest thing mm-hmm. that the more you're, and this is part of what, why, we're, why we're doing this season three with the unpacking. It's a huge reason why we're going to do um, the Know They God in season four, mm-hmm. a year from now. Um, it seems that the more that you get to know him, the more in awe that you're going to be of him and the more you're going to adore him. And it seems that the more you're going to trust him and realize he is the safe place, he is your chance of security and stability, um, and you realize he is the self-existent creator, you know, and we're finite beings. And so the more that you get to know him, the more you're just going to kneel before him. Um, there are also things that will hinder, that make it more difficult uh, to do that. What would you guys say? Um well, before we get into what makes it more difficult, I think another thing that really does help us make that decision and go towards that is one, um, getting to know God through his word, prayer, just all of those different right. things um, that we've talked about in yeah, previous scripture, podcasts. Yeah, scripture, prayer, community. Yeah. Um, but also just making sure that we're being intentional about continuing to walk down our own 
sanctification journey and just becoming more like Christ, just learning. Uh, obviously, we have to know what his character is before we can start changing our own character. But I think that that's another way that we really can um, practically bow in adoration and submission is actually being submitted to Christ. And we see that's probably a circular thing. So like the more you're humbling yourself, the easier it is to go through the sanctification maturity process. Yeah, and then the more that you're being sanctified and mature, the more you're going to continue in yeah, that humility. All right. So what are, what are some of the things that will oppose or hinder it or make it difficult to humble yourself? Well, as we were talking about this earlier, these are almost like facepalm, like, duh, situations. <laughs> right, right. After now we've talked about this for a good 45 minutes or so. But, you know, being proud uh, definitely uh, would take away from it a little bit because uh, that's kind of part of the definition of being humble is not being so proud, not taking away from oneself, but right. not putting pride into what you're doing. Um, despising God's counsel. So... I can't really see how you could be kneeling down and adoring God if you're not going to want to listen to him. Right. So right. Yeah, if you don't ahead, like his advice, then yeah. you're not going to get anywhere. And then abandoning God completely, which I know that sounds ridiculous as well, but we do put idols in front of ourselves. We, mm. we don't want to say that even as Christians, but there's times where we'll put money, other pride, yeah. anything in front of God. And in doing so, it's going to take away our ability to kneel down before him in a very happy yep. and good-mannered way and expect him to talk to us. So, for example, there's idolatry as far as you start worshiping another god. Well, clearly then you're not kneeling before this one. Right. But there's also, as a Christian, you idolize some things and you make things a higher priority even than your relationship with God. Could be money, could be wealth, you know, et cetera. Um, and if you idolize those things and they're more important to you than your relationship with God, then of course you're not going to, yeah, it makes it harder to deal for them. Uh, also, I wanted to comment on the proud statement. There's that idea of stiff neck, which is like stubborn. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to say that because I am stubborn, but stub, uh, you know, don't you hate it when you're like saying something you're like, Oh, that's me. Hold on. <laughs> um, stubbornness hinders the ability to humble yourself before God. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll just leave that there. <laughs> just pray about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also in addition to these, the things that Ian was just talking about, just evil and unfaithful deeds, whenever we're doing something that forces us to, going back to the definition of evil, to turn away from God and his beneficial things into something else, that's going to make it difficult for us to kneel before God because we have decided to stand up and turn the opposite direction. So obviously that hinders our ability uh, to be kneeling before him. And remember in the sin study, remember we listed out the consequences or the results of sin, like that word better. One of the results of sin, you know, there's a prevention, there was a sin results in some kind of detriment mm -hmm. and then also a prevention of some benefit. Yeah. This is one of those benefits that gets prevented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in addition to that, something that opposes this idea of humility is rivalry and and conceit. If we are um, comparing, I think comparison also really fits into this. Yeah, yeah. If we're trying to do um, just, if we're looking at someone else and saying, you know, I need to just be this much better than that person in whatever area it is, then that's taking away from us actually kneeling in adoration before God. And we need to not be focused on what other people are doing 
at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to be focused on our relationship with God and if we're actually kneeling in adoration and submission and security before him. And that really does need to be our focus. Yeah. Um, So continuing on, we also then got into, okay, so what do the workings of it look like? So if we're observing humble people, what are we seeing them do? And this is also kind of cyclical, like the sanctification maturity thing, that is, as you're humbling yourself, you're going to start doing these more, and as you're doing these more, you'll continue humbling yourself. Um, so one of the things is uh, praying, fasting, and, and seeking God. So we, you know, we've already done an episode on, on prayer. Uh, eventually we'll do one on, on fasting. Um, but the idea that the, these humble people are tr- just trying to, to seek God's direction in the moment through prayer and fasting. And then we have the... Um ability to submit and acknowledge that he is righteous just overall understanding the magnitude of who god is will allow you very much so to then want to be in his presence kneeling before him and if you're wondering what righteous means you can go back and listen to our righteous episode in addition to those uh some of the workings of it we also need to make sure that we're turning from evil and we're confessing our sin in weeping we need to grievingly acknowledge our sin and receive the love and forgiveness that we already have uh just all of those things that we talked about mm-hmm. based out of psalm 51 i psalm believe 51, yeah. um we just need to make sure that we're actually doing those things as we're going through life another thing that we saw quite a bit and this one had jumped out at me personally is the, um pl- uh, a plea for help crying out casting your cares on him so one of the things that we saw was humble people and it makes sense with the whole kneeling and security they they cry out to God. They they plea and ask for help. They they come to God with their cares and needs uh, and say, God, help me with this. You know, and he, and he does. And then we can tremble in excitement at his word, just absolutely embracing the fact that everything that's in the Bible, all these things that we've talked about in all these different podcasts, um, they can actually just make us really excited to want to be in his presence. Yeah, because we we talk about this a lot. But the more you're understanding what Scripture says and how it all connects and all that, the more you're understanding who God is, you just start to get excited, and so you kneel more. And then as you're kneeling more, more gets revealed. Yeah. And it becomes that cyclical. And uh, self-denial is also one of the things that works like that. If we actually are denying ourselves and um, following what God wants us to be doing and we're listening to his voice, then we're going to be able to uh, do that more often and be more humble in that process. Uh, Another big component is just being obedient, uh, even to the point of death. And so the humble person, because they're kneeling in that submission, then they trust whatever commands and prohibitions God's given, they need to obey those. And so they're becoming more obedient, um, pursuing the commands and avoiding the prohibitions. Yeah, and just in general, walking worthy with a tender, gentle, patient spirit, accepting one another with love, forgiveness, and unity, and considering others more important so it can tend to their needs. that, of course, runs both sides of kind of that definition of humble, mm-hmm. but that's the humble servant. And that's the beauty of when you see somebody who's walking in this, this Christian life and they're really practicing humility, you also see them as a caretaker. Yeah, it's good. That's really good. Yeah, and um, something that we don't normally think of when we're thinking of humility is the idea that 
we also need to be yielding, submitting to, and obeying leaders and authorities in our lives. And so, mm. obviously, ultimately, we are responsible to be submitting and kneeling to God. But we also need to recognize that there are things and orders that God has set up, and there are leaders and authorities um, in church, in our local area, government, um, at yeah. jobs, with the government, parents, um, just all of these different structures where there is authority, we actually, a part of humility is submitting to those authority structures. Because if, if you go back to the feudal analogy, and so the liege lord has like delegated some of the authorities to, like, to other lieutenants or sergeants or whatever, mm-hmm. well, if you're humbling yourself before that lord, that's going to include you being obedient to the authority figures that he's delegated. Yeah. Um, so by the way, without getting into a, a political diatribe here, um, somebody who's humbling themselves before the lord, one of the things that comes from that is they become more submissive and, and, and it's obedient to the leaders of church, family, government, etc. Now, I realize people, well, what if, what if the government's doing this? You know, um, if the government's doing something unbiblical, then of course you resist that, right? But in, in, we're not going to go down this rabbit trail. But we do want to pay attention to this idea that the more that I'm humbling myself before the Lord, the more that's going to affect my attitude towards government. Hmm. And so we'll just plant that seed and, and let that chew and fester, <laughs> right? Yeah, and just one other thing, not with uh, the political sphere s- of things, but um, just this idea of authority. This is why it's so important as leaders that I've heard it said that a leader is the first follower. And mm-hmm. Jesus actually defined his leadership by washing his disciples' feet. That wasn't something that he set aside his leadership right. and then washed their feet. That was his leadership is washing their feet. Um, just recognizing that serving others and being the first one to actually do those lowly tasks is actually humility in action. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that we saw through all this was you do you do all these things alongside other um, humble people. So this goes to kind of that iron sharpening iron. It just seems that if, if you're the only one humbling yourself before the Lord, it can be a difficult thing to do. Where if you're alongside others that are also doing that, it really goes a long way. So that was one of the other patterns that we were seeing in the in the passages. And then and then and then now I also want to reference the this idea of affliction and suffering. So we were we were discussing this earlier, right? It was it, was, it showed up in some of the language, and we were trying to figure out what what in the world it had to do. It's actually so this idea of affliction comes in in two ways. We're going to discuss one now, and then one a little bit um, down the road here in a, in a few minutes. But the idea here is it seems that humility, by this definition, really gives you the strength that you need to persevere through suffering. So we would encourage you to go back and listen to the pers- the patience and perseverance episode and the suffering episode and the grieving episode. Um and and realize that when if if you know with flight fight pers- also the flight fight persevere episode from season one, um, you can listen to all those. But it seems that if there, if there's some suffering that you're in the midst of, and it's and, and God is wanting you to endure and persevere through that, humility goes a long way. So what's interesting is um, going back to the two you know the English definition versus the Bible definition. If you hold to the, the typical English definition of humility, that you have to kind of downplay yourself a little bit, um, that's what humility means. And I came to you and said, hey, you know what will help you persevere through this current suffering and affliction you're going through? Humility. 
what they're hearing is I need to be downplaying who I am and sort of like using uh, belittling, demeaning language. And that's supposed to help me, uh, persevere, give me strength to persevere. That doesn't make sense. Where's the connection with that? And I would say, yeah, there is really no connection with that, which is why I'm not saying that. <laughs> so what I'm saying is if you're kneeling before God in that adoration and that submission and that security, those things are going to help you have the strength to persevere and endure through the affliction and suffering that you're going through. That makes a ton more sense. So when we see what is the connection between humility and suffering in the Bible, there's two connections, but one of the connections is that true humility is going to help you with the persevering. Um, so then we can move to the results and benefits. So let's say somebody is in the process of doing this. Like you said, it's a slow turn of the ship, et cetera. But over time, and, and, and what we're going to list out for you, by the way, is not one-to-one formulaic, i.e. it's absolutely guaranteed that as soon as you humble yourself, these benefits are going to occur. It's much more of a loose but true correlation between the two that over time you're going to see more of this. One of the cool things was, you know, so every study that we do, we look at what, what's the benefits, what's the motivation, why should I pursue this? We found a ton. Like, I remember there was just a huge long list. Now, in the in the summary page that we have here in our notes, I just kind of grouped them into, into certain categories, but there were a ton of individual points within each of those. But it was really cool to see how many benefits. I remember thinking it was one of the longer list of benefits that I had seen in any of the unpackings that we had done. Um, so, so we're going to go through them now. So one of them is um, God will look favorably on me, elevating me in honor and glory. Now, now that we've done the glory or the um, the grace favor study and what it means to show favor to, and there is a merited element, this now makes even more sense. <laughs> um, but if you're humbling yourself, uh, God is going to look favorably on you. He's going to show you some of that merited favor, and he's actually going to, and this goes back to, you know what's funny, even the low language, it's like if you kneel before God and you lower yourself in that kneeling, he actually will elevate you. Um, in a number of different different ways, um, but so that so that that's one of the benefits we saw. Yes, and uh, another one is just simply preventing disasters. And I, I look at it this way: you kind of open the segue up on the suffering. Yep. Well, he he will prevent a lot of the suffering and anguish and pain if you're working with him. So having this this relationship and this humble relationship with him. He very well, and like you said, it's not one for one. It's not he's not going to prevent every disaster. Right. Some things have to happen. We don't know why those types of things. But overall, because you're in step with him, there's a much better chance that he's going to remove a lot of that affliction from you. Yeah. And so inversely, if you are going through infliction, that doesn't mean automatically that you you haven't been humbling yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you need to go back and listen to the suffering study because we actually break down all the types of suffering and the reasons why they may happen and yeah. what's it, what's to do with them. In addition to those things, another result and benefit of actually being humble is, uh, forgiveness of sins, which I do want to explain this a little bit more. There's kind of di- two different ways that this really plays itself out. Uh, the first is like big picture. If you are, um, humbling yourself before the Lord and you were an unbeliever and you're recognizing who Jesus is, your sin, um, the fact that you can't come to God except through Jesus Christ and you're humbling yourself in that way through salvation. At that broad meta level. At that broad, just overarching level, 
then obviously that will result in the forgiveness of sins. And humility does need to be a part of someone's conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, just that idea of recognizing who you are, who God is, repenting, just all of the different things that go into that. Additionally, and you're going to have to go back to uh, the study that we did on mercy, mercy, talking about forgiveness mercy, because the other component of this is if we're actually being humble, then God is going to take the responsibility for compensation off of you, and he's going to put that on himself. And so we talk about that a lot more in depth in the mercy study, but that is another way that if we're actually being humble, we see this idea of forgiveness of sins. When, when we were prepping this, we wondered if we needed to go down that rabbit trail, explain it, but we knew that was just going to take too long mm-hmm. of what does that mean? So just, yeah, go back and listen to the mercy study. Um, and then another one is it, it, uh, your heart is strengthened. So we, we talked about actually humbling yourself brings you strength. Um, because you're, it's not, it's, there's no weakness. There's, there's a strength to it, strength of heart, strength of mind, strength of will, et cetera. And then we walked into, uh, just how we're going to be led in what is right. And again, that just simply comes from the fact that you're gaining that relationship with him. Therefore he's going to instill, show you those understandings of what is right, what is wrong. Duh, Ian. Uh, in addition to all these different things that also is, we can get wisdom, wealth, and life, um, just pretty broad categories there, but, uh, just saying that those are some of the ways that humility can be a benefit. Yeah. Cause I remember there's a, there's definitely a correlation between humility and wisdom. Like Proverbs would, would talk about this. Um, and then with the life, the idea there, uh, is remember that the, the Several of the unpackings, we've come across the phrase like life to the bones. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily talking about eternal life there. That would kind of go back to the salvation thing you just mentioned. Uh, but just more life to the bones, which I, I would fully agree with that statement. Because I've tried to humble myself and kneel before God more in that way. Life has become more colorful. Sure. A more of a vibrancy. Sure. So, yeah, I, 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 I agree with all of it, but I can, <laughs> I can say I, I specifically, you know, I've seen that in action. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, And then another one is it, the more that you humble yourself or the more that you are humble, uh, God's going to listen even more attentively and grant your petitions. And, we, and again, we need to qualify that. It's not just, this is why you want to go back to the prayer study. We talked about, you know, does God answer prayer? How does that work, et cetera. It seems there's some general factors that, at least three qualifications scripture would show uh humility um james says you know the prayer of a righteous man is is effective uh and then you have the 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 passages about if you pray according to my name or according to my will then it'll be granted to you so what it seems like the more that you're humble with this definition the more that you're pursuing righteousness, which is that right behavior, go back to that study, the more that you're aligning with God's will and asking things according to what he wants, the more all those are happening, it definitely actually increases the chances uh, of the, him of God granting that, that petition. There's definitely a, a strong correlation there between them. Sure, and piggybacking on that idea, which we also need to be very careful about, but he can also make sure that we enjoy abundant prosperity. And prosperity can go a bunch of different ways. Right, internally, money. Again, because we're working with the Lord, it seems as though he'll work with us even more. And then lastly, we also see this idea of a result of of humility and just a benefit of it is that uh, this idea of inheriting the land which will be healed. 
which I don't know if you have some more explanation on that one, Jan. No, I was going to put you on the spot and say, no, what does that mean, Zach? <laughs> I don't remember specifically what we meant by that, but. No, I just, so all that, I know that, you know, when we're going through passages, especially with re- repetition, we end up making notes. And so there were a number of references to the humble inheriting the land. Mm-hmm. And then a spinoff of that was talking about the land will be healed by the humility of the people. Yeah. I don't know exactly what that means. I just remember that was a thing. Mm-hmm. So we put it in there. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, a lot of cool benefits and motivation to, uh, to do that. So then now we can get to the other connection between um, the affliction, suffering and humility. And so this was a little weird to go through. And I don't, I remember, I don't think back then I fully understood it. Now that we've gone through the mm-hmm. punishment study, I understand it more. Yeah. So let me put it this way. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, let me let me put the blunt thing, and then I'll explain it why it's less blunt than it sounds. The blunt thing was there were a number of passages that talk about if you don't humble yourself, or if you're not humble, God will oppose you, and He will bring you down through affliction and disgrace. Hmm. And that's a little weird, right? Um, at least for me. Some people are like, "Oh, hey, I'm totally cool with that," but I didn't. It wasn't lining up with love and you know that kind of stuff. So now, if you go back to the punishment study, one of the things that we said was understanding that when God does punish believers, but we wanted to qualify that. Um, without going to all of it here, there's you know a, a phase of zero to 90 where he's patiently just gently warning you. Then there's this intense, it jumps up to intense punishment from 91 to 99. But the point of the intense punishment is not some sort of retributive punitive thing of harm Mm -hmm. for harm it was restorative it was that i just gave you a period from zero to 90 of gentle warnings and you weren't listening so now i need to up the ante because this is the only thing you're gonna listen to and so now i'm gonna bring about the sword or the the uh famine or whatever uh to get your attention but i'm getting your attention so that you will repent what does repent mean uh, it's a changing one's thinking and behavior, turning back to who God is and his good things. Um, and so God's like, here's the thing. I want you with me. Hmm. Um, you're so much better off. I enjoy it so much more. And so because you've been kind of so stubborn or hard-hearted or whatever, I have to actually use this affliction. And we learned in the suffering study that he does it reluctantly, hmm. but necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I need to use this affliction to get your attention so that you'll turn back, which you're actually really going to enjoy and I'm going to enjoy as well. So that plays over into this, that God really loves humble people. Why? Because he looks better? No, because it goes back to this feudal Lord analogy. Everyone's just coming back to him. Everyone's working together in that local kingdom and everything's just working out better for everybody. It's a win, win, win. So God's like, dude, it is so awesome when people adore me and they're submitted to me um, and they trust in me because I love doing those things. I love, I love being friendly and loving. I love giving gifts. I love taking care of, you know, so just, it's just, it's all around awesome. So, so with that in mind, that God really loves the win, win, win results of humility when it doesn't happen, he's like, oh, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're shooting the kingdom in the foot a bit. Um, and he wants it so bad that he'll do anything he can to get you to come back to him. And ironically, at that point, if you're one of those rebels in the woods saying, hey, look at me, I'm a rebel. I get to be all my freedom. You're so in a weird, distorted view of thinking 
that he actually has to use affliction to wake you up to get you to come back to him. So when you understand that, I know for me, like, oh, okay, I, I get that now. So that was the second connection between affliction or suffering and humility. One is that humility gives you the strength to persevere through suffering and affliction. The other is if you're not humbling yourself, it's such a big deal and your thinking is so distorted that God will ironically use suffering and affliction to get you to open back up to come back to him so that you can get all those benefits. Yeah, and it's just something for me, um, which is a little bit of a different direction from this, but just the idea that as we look into Scripture, and we've been uh, recording, what were we at, 52 hours of different content Mm -hmm. just going through, all of this comes together to paint this picture that when we get to this discussion right here, it just helps clarify so much what we actually, what Scripture is saying when it talks about God opposing the proud and why that's such a big deal and what that affliction is actually for. It's not God, um, because I know before, when I took this in the fall um, two years ago, we hadn't done, like you were saying, we hadn't done any of the punishment studies and that sort of thing. And so it was really confusing initially, like, why why is there this affliction? This doesn't make any sense, because the point of humility is all these beneficial things, and so why are we just randomly getting mad and punishing these other random people like this this doesn't seem to be lining up but when you begin to see the picture that scripture is painting in general with all of these different things it really does help bring clarity to this specific idea which is just something that's just so cool to me as we go through all of these different topics you know i like so back then we didn't fully understand why this was a thing uh this affliction part and didn't necessarily like it either but I remember we all were just kind of like, I mean, okay, it, I mean, it is yeah, part there. of the study. It's yeah. there. We can't ignore that. And so now that I can look in hindsight, I feel like God looks at that and he's like, dude, thank you guys for going ahead and submitting to that and mm-hmm. agreeing that it was there, even when you didn't necessarily like it, even when you didn't necessarily understand it. Because by the way, you guys don't know this, but in like two years, I'm going to have you go through the punishment unpacking and it's all begin to make sense. Yeah. So, you know, kudos to you guys and, and the other people in the group uh, of any of the unpackings that are like, and this, I, this would be true for the listener too. Um, you know, part of the reason we do these podcasts is to help persuade you why you should hold to this conclusion. It's why they're so long. Mm-hmm. Um, going through all the details, um, and and I, so I want to offer you the, uh, some early, you know, preemptive kudos that if if you're like, okay, I don't know if I fully like that or understand it or even agree with it, but these guys have spent a lot of time trying to unpack all this stuff. I understand kind of where they're coming from. You know, maybe I should go back. And by the way, I always tell people, email me, and we'll send you the PDF that has a list of all the verses. So you can go back and look through the verses on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's that idea of, you know, faith in the unseen that God really does admire it when we're willing to kind of submit and accept something, even if we don't totally understand it. Um, Because at some point we probably will understand it, whether it's this side of the gates or not, but these unpacking studies have gone a long way Mm -hmm. with all that. So, so that's pretty much what I had to, to offer uh, as far as the notes from the humility was there anything else that you guys wanted to add from your notes or thoughts as, as we've discussed all this? Uh, yeah, Shannon. Uh, it, it, when we first were doing the study, the, there was like a quote that popped in my head, and it was 
as soon as you make yourself small or humble, he makes you big. And it's not the smallness taking away from you. Mm -hmm. It's just that kneeling down before him type small. And then he blessed you almost through the roof, like Mm, in such a matter way. And the only other thing that I had was uh, the humbling from God is showing you who you really are in the flesh and then showing you who he wants you to be, his humble servant. So those were the two real big takeaway notes that I had from two and a half years ago that still resonate in my heart. This goes, by the way, with with Know Thyself, you know, that for season two, that one of the whole points is to figure out how you're wired so you can figure out what your calling is. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's something I should add to Know Thyself in the beginning when people take the class, that humility is going to go a long way with this. You know, kneeling before him in, in those ways will help uh, figure that out. Yeah. And something that I was reminded of just going through this study is a lot of times we tend to think of ourselves as believers, as sinners saved by grace, um, but th- just this idea that we're sinners. And so we sin, we're, we do these things that we're not supposed to do, when actually scripture, what scripture tells us we are is once we're in the body of Christ, we're actually saints. And just this idea that a lot of times in Christianity, we feel like we can't say that. We can't say that we're saints. Mm, right. uh, we have to say that we're sinners because we have to be humble. We have to keep ourselves down. We have to recognize um, our lowliness, our dustness. There's all these different things. And so we only say that we're sinners. And if you walk around calling you calling yourself a sinner, what are you going to do? Sin. You're going to sin. Yeah. Um, and so just this idea of recognizing that in Christ, we actually do have this standing um, that we can recognize that that's who we are we are saints in christ and we can allow that to affect our living in such a way that we're still kneeling in adoration before god and we are being humble in doing that but it actually helps us with our perspective this idea of humility so humility will help you get a better understanding of your identity and who you are uh and this shows you know words are important and so the words that we say have an effect on us Mm -hmm. um yeah so that's huge so what would you guys say um, are just like the practical implications and application? Like I would say, you know, given all this, because this goes to that to that fourth question, you know, um, uh, as far as now what do I do with this? Um, practically speaking, you should begin or continue to get to know God better through scripture, prayer, and community. And the more you're getting to know him better and his plans and the way he does things and what scripture has to teach and all those truths, the more that you're doing those things, you're going to get in awe. You're going to have more trust. You're going to find that as the safer place. And so you're just going to start and, and, and you're going to kneel before him in the adoration, right? That's just what the humbling is. Um, and you're kneeling before him in that adoration, security, and and submission. And as you're doing that, there's that prayer and fasting. There's the serving others with the gentleness and kindness. All those things that we were just listening. All that stuff's just going to start playing out. And then a whole bunch of benefits are going to come. So it seems like this should be a big priority. Yeah, huge. That get start to understand a little better of who God is get in awe of that, trust in him more, find him as the safer place. So you just kneel before him in those ways, start doing all these things associated with that. And then all these like benefits are going to come over time. Right. Um, yeah, it's like, that, that's a big deal. That, that would be like my summary implication or application for this. What, what would you guys add? Oh yeah. Um, I, I think one of the biggest things for me 
And, and since I took this study, it was kind of life-changing in a lot of ways, Christian life-changing, especially because I understood what the humility meant with God better. So then I wanted to do it more. <laughs> I didn't want to keep going back to God going, oh, I'm not worthy. Now I can go, oh, no, Lord, you're the Lord. I want to be here. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm now, you Let's know. do this. Yeah. So the biggest one that I saw over the past two years is recognizing that when you do those, those things where you might forget to go back to the throne and you might keep forgetting to just kneel before him and allow him to kind of work things out with you, you really have to look at that and go, okay, I'm challenging myself for no reason. I should just be going in front of the Lord and asking him to help, trusting him to help. And uh, a lot of times when we get in our work lives and, and other things like that, we put it upon ourselves. Well, it's my job. It's my career. So I'm going to do it. And then you realize that it's getting very difficult. And then you go, oh, yeah, it's actually God's career. Mm-hmm. So I have to re remember to go back to him with all these different assignments or projects or mm, interactions and recognizing that he's going to be the one to take care of it. Yeah. One thing I'm reminded of is there's a quote, I think it's by Lewis, that is um, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, which I think that there's even another dynamic to that, that it's even past that, it's thinking of God more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so humility isn't thinking of yourself less, it's thinking of God more, just really helps us to have That's, the mindset yeah. that we need to have um, in order to move forward practically in life. And just to yeah. capitalize on what you were saying there, Ian, I think that for me, one of my... Um, tendencies is to um not necessarily uh avoid thinking of god the way i should i t i have really grown especially in the last couple months and just my view of who god is and his character and his nature and just all of these different things and just my on adoration for him is at a really um good point obviously still needs to be growing and all sure. the rest but um what i tend to do is i tend to take that and then also say but i can handle this like, you're awesome, and I know that I'm kneeling here in adoration, but I'm just going to kind of try and do this on my own. Yeah. And just focusing on um, myself and just self-reliance is something that I tend to move towards, mm. which r really is the opposite of kneeling in adoration and submission. And um, if I'm focusing on my own ability instead of God's ability to work through me. So um, could we also say with that, humility is relying less on self and more on God. Yeah. And so just that idea that I need to make sure that I am not um, trying to be self-reliant, even as I'm recognizing who God is, mm -hmm. recognize that he also is the only way that I actually can be empowered to do the things I need to do as unto the Lord, recognizing that it's ultimately for him that we do the things that we do. Yeah. And when all of those things come together, it really is a beautiful picture. And that yeah. really is something that um, we, like, even as we're sitting here describing it, like, it's something that I want more in my life, but I know that as I continue going throughout this week, it's going to be hard for me to actually do that. Yeah. So were there any other takeaways that you guys had personally uh, beyond what you just said from the study or from the discussion tonight? Um, I think one of my biggest takeaways especially with the study was just the visualization of we think that we want to be running around in the woods 
and we think that that's freedom, mm-hmm. but true freedom is actually submitting to what Christ has for us. And just the idea of, um, we can only actually thrive and live if we're in the water, but we want to be out on the water trying to walk on our fins and it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, just that idea that we do need to actually be submitted and that really is the ideal and that's how we just need to be living. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have much else. I think we've really done a pretty thorough job of explaining where we were in this thought process and where we should be. Yeah. And I still recall that this was one of the most impactful studies I ever took out of all the ones that I've taken, which has been plenty now. And why? And it was because it really changed my view Uh. on how I was supposed to be as a Christian towards God. It That was the most impactful takeaway I could even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine was, I think before this study, the idea of like humbling myself before God, I thought that entailed me denying a little bit of my personality, you know, because I have the more assertive, yeah. aggressive, charismatic, passionate um, intentionality. And to humble myself was like me giving up all those things and just like quietly demure, becoming demure, whatever. Now I realize that I should keep all those things as I kneel before him. Right. So I can kneel before him in passion, charisma, intentionality, aggressiveness, assertiveness, you know, et cetera. Um, but what, and that's a great combination because it's like, I'm coming to him all eager, you know, uh, let's do this, but I'm actually coming to him, you know, and kneeling before him, not in just some kind of quiet head down way, but I'm kneeling before him with excitement as I look up, like, all right, what are we doing? Yeah. And then, and then he dealt, you know, kind of what you were saying, you know, about as far as like with work and like going back with each project, you know, just checking with him. And I was like, Oh, so I can still be me in this personality style and humbling just means doing that on my knees before him. Oh, okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and so it makes it easier to, 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 to do it and just how much God really enjoyed that. Sure. Yeah. And just really quick with that, uh, just that idea of with your personality, and we have very similar personalities, so um, I would also include myself in that category. But um, with that, just that excitement, and that really goes right back to last week, fear the Lord, we can be trembling with excitement and adoration before God having a healthy fear of him, which will help with our humility as we're actually doing that before him. So think before these two studies, the idea of humbling yourself before God with a with a great fear of him, hmm. what that would have meant before the study versus what that means after the two studies. It's two different pictures. Yeah, yeah. completely. So so that's it. Uh, so we're done with that one. As always, uh, if you've got questions or, or feedback, you can email us at info at rekindlingministries.com or you can go to the website, rekindlingministries.org. Uh, also, we're encouraging you guys to put comments on, on Podbean. Um, We'd like just to get your feedback. If you want, you know, more information or more help with something, or you want to kind of push back a little bit, or I have another question, uh, we're up for for all that stuff. And so we'll see you guys for the next episode when we're doing the next piece of this puzzle, which is uh, knowledge, understanding, insight, wisdom, and counsel. And we're going to break all that stuff down. That should probably be a long one because there's a lot of information with that. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>